לשידור ישיר ממחנה רמה בברקשיירס. כל רמה, מאה ושתיים שלוש, Rabbi Barry Tesler, Solomon Shekhi School of Long Island, Rabbi Jeremy Kalmanovsky, Anshay Chesed in New York City. Great to see you. We are in the countdown to Pesach. I have a countdown clock that says it's like 14 days, 6 hours, 30 minutes, etc. Uh, and that just means, you know, nothing because we're not going to be able to do it. We know, Bechipazon, we, we left in haste and we also prepare in haste. But... Uh, Let's see if we can get together on this. In the meantime, the Torah serves up for us a new book, Vayikra. What a great thing. We ended last week, the ended the book of Shemot, and it's a milestone in our life, but a milestone to begin a new book. But, but, it's a puzzle, because the word that starts the book, Vayikra el Moshe, he called Moses to Moses, Vayidabera Adonai elav, and God spoke to him, Me'omo'ed, from the tent of meeting, saying, so what does that mean? And how do you understand it? Because on the face of the verse, there's no subject to the verse. Vayikra is like, you know, someone called, he called, who called, who called? And how did it, how did it? so how do we understand Vayikra? How do we understand, and, and maybe in asking how we understand this, I'm also asking, What's the overture of the book? Do you want to try and answer these questions? Pick, pick a colleague. <laughs> I'm going to. All right, Jeremy, go. you're up. Okay, I'll go. I'll go. Well, I like an answer that I think requires a little bit of fanciful, you know, extra extra creative reading. But I think, first of all, I find it very appealing. But I think it also does make sense. So if you read the the chapters thirty nine and forty. In Exodus, which we read last Shabbat, uh, that the 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 the, the co- uh, construction of the tabernacle, the Mishkan, the Ohel Moed, you know, the people did exactly this amazing achievement. They they did it exactly as God had prescribed it through the instructions to Moshe and the artisans of Betzalel and Ohaliyav. And then God, as the plan, uh, inhabits the, the tabernacle and Mishkan and the divine presence fills the tabernacle. Uh, but Moses cannot go in to the tabernacle because uh, the divine presence fills up 100% of the space. It's like a, the, the luminous cloud, which is usually how the Bible seems to refer to, quote, the, the glory of the Lord, not just like Hooray, terrificness, it's like a luminous cloud, fills the whole space of the tabernacle. There's no room for humanity to enter. And then, if you just read consecutively, even though, yes, there is a a break between the end of Exodus and the beginning of Leviticus, if you sort of read over the break, Exodus ends, and Moses can't enter, there's too much God, there's no room for humanity, and then it goes to Vayikra al-Moshe. 
And then he calls Moses and begins to speak to Moses. I would read it as God calls Moses and begins to speak to Moses, that God, at the end of Exodus, has all the space, but that the beginning of Vayikra is God summons Moshe into the encounter and prepares to communicate. So That's I it. ask you two questions. Um, this would make it, I think, the only time that the Kavod Adonai is speaking. Here is speaking to Moses. And where is Moshe? He can't be in the Ohel Moed because that's filled with God's presence and God is speaking from there. So where would you situate him? Well, why, why, is, that, why is that exactly a problem? Because, um, because uh, Moses could be right at the edge um, and God speaks, you know, God summons Moses to enter the Ohel Moed that had previously not been accessible. Uh, that's That strikes me as... Uh, so you're you saying know, I'm not it's, saying it's a problem necessarily, but it does require an explanation, such as the one that you offer. Well, let me offer, let me offer this one, which is there's a little danger here because if the if the cloud is filling the tent, uh, so you can't really breathe in there, okay? And that that defines a space. The space has a real boundary, and Moses is really at the edge of the boundary because he can't go in, and so. Instead of Moses going in, it's the the voice is coming out, the dibur, and and uh, exact you know it's it's almost like saying it's a it's a photon, it's an energy packet that that is coming out and it's going to saying to Moses, you know, and and that moment where there is a um, a crossing over from one zone to another, that's a very powerful moment. And I think, you know, we pick up on that. We pick up on also, like, how this sound of God's voice is being manifest in in Moses. And, and go ahead, Mary. Okay, so here I would add a few things. So, first of all, I guess it's good to remind our listeners that the Ohelmo Wade, as it's conceived in the Torah, has three distinct parts. It has the courtyard where the main sacrificial altar is, and then it has a smaller room called the Kodesh, where the menorah, the incense altar, and the um, table table are, and then the Kodesh HaKodeshim. So there's often confusion is the, whether the Ohel Moed, when it's mentioned, whether it refers to the Kodesh and Kodeshim, and Kodesh HaKodeshim, or to all three sections at once. So here it seems that God is speaking out of the Kodesh, or perhaps even the Kodesh HaKodeshim, and then we could put Moshe in the courtyard. And the courtyard is a place for all the Israelites. Only the Kohanim can go into the holy part. Well, which, yeah. Why wouldn't and, you put him at the, in the, in the, at the, at the, like in front of the ark? In front of, well, so that's inside the, the, the well, curtain. Yeah, Maybe. so that makes sense, except that if God is speaking from the Ohomo Wade, I would th I would think that Moses has to be someplace else. But he, but wait, is he is he outside of the the Ohomo Wade? Is he? I mean, I think the, he's in the courtyard. You think he's in he's, the courtyard? The curtain that separates the courtyard from the Kodesh Kodeshim. Sure, I, I just happen to have a picture of it here. <laughs> so so you're saying that Moses is outside the red area yeah um right where you see the altar that's smoking yeah and then there's the sink it looks like in front of it and then the kodesh okay 
So and Moses that, is, you know, by the sink set. I said I have my finger over here. So I'm thinking Moses is out, outside of the courtyard because he's with the people. You're saying he's inside the courtyard. So this is a good entree to Rashi's comment, which, <laughs> as is often the case, complicates matters when he quotes the rabbis. So for the rabbis, they think Moses is inside, and the voice of God that speaks to him, which, as Rashi mentions elsewhere, is the voice that topples cedar trees and moves mountains, is only heard by Moshe. Okay. And the people who are definitely outside, either in the courtyard without Moses or outside the Ohol Moed altogether, they don't hear a thing. So, so Moses is alone with God. It's almost like Moses is tuned to the frequency. And, and Moses has the extraordinary high-definition receiver that nobody else can receive. And, I, you know, it's, all, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful metaphor for Revelation that, that God emits on a certain frequency that only ex the exceptional of the exceptional receiver can can actually process. Which, by the way, I, I find that a very, I, I find that a very vivid description of insight, which is to say that it, it can't be, it can't be that only the, you know, the, the true Navi is able to discern something into everyone else. It's a total black box because that would make religion nonsense. Um, then you would just be following, you know, any old fool. But I do think it's true that certain people are tuned in, attuned to a reality. And when they communicate it to other people, other people say, yeah, that's right. I see that too. Uh, so Moshe, I, this, I'm, I, that's why I like this, what, what Barry told us about this Rashi before we started recording. And then to illustrate now, I like this thought that Moshe is really attuned, can pick up on the frequency and then transmit it to the people in 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 a in a good digestible, illuminating, uh, accessible way for them. That's like that's what a religious message messenger should do. So, just to amplify the word attune. So, this is how music works for a lot of us. That the great musician is able to put things in words and tones, the music itself, that is inaccessible to us as creators but we can appreciate it as listeners. And this gives added significance to Moshe being the Levite, which is a tribe that's identified with music. So, so Moses is the divine musician. Let, let's just put up the Rashi here for a second because, because it has some musical things here. And, and for those of you who are listening, uh, we have a text on the screen. Those of you watching, you can follow. So, this is Rashi, the voice goes out and gets to his ears. It reaches his ears. Right? The rest of Israel doesn't hear it. So one might, this is a translation that that uh, was on Sepharia. One might think that the subset, means more like divisions or or pauses, right? The But the text says he spoke so, which that that means the speaking has was called, and not the the pauses between the speak between each packet of sound. What was the what was the function of the pauses? 
to give Moses a moment, such a beautiful idea, give Moses a moment to, to think between each word. Ben parasha, le parasha, from portion to portion, from idea to idea. So, Kalvachomer, how much more so? Uh, you know, for how much more would a would a you know an ordinary person learn from an ordinary person? My, the point that Rashi is making is that there's content in the spaces between the words, or the content between the spaces in the between the chapters, and. You made reference to music. I'll make reference to music in a different way, which is that you play music and you're also playing the rest. I, I, you know, was fortunate to play clarinet in the band, and I had a wonderful teacher, Mr. Milne and Mr. Manley, two teachers. They said, play the rests. You got to play the rests because if you don't, if you come in too quickly or if you wait too long, the music it it, it shifts the way the music is understood and then shifts the tension that is being resolved in the music. And so what you have here is God speaking and Moses listening and and the communication is happening in the spaces between. If, if this is true, if this is true, then I just want to add one and think to you what you said in the interpretation. There's a kriya for the dibor, which means that every time that God speaks, Moshe, that God initiates that with a listen up now and then gives a speech. But God does not say, according to that, would mean God would not say, listen up now and then rest. But there are the rests. There are the, the, the empty spaces and the divisions between, which would then, if, if that's the case, then I think that would refer to there's certain parts of which God demands our attention. And there's certain parts that we have to pay attention to, even when God has not demanded our attention. God has not called to order. And Moshe has to bring the intentionality and the attention to the hafzakot, to the gaps between each item. And that, to me, also speaks powerfully about like revelation, you know, we whatever, for in, in, in like, you know, quote-unquote orthodoxy with, with a small o, orthodoxy, like the things you're supposed to believe that God wrote the book, and, and we want to say, oh, okay, so God gave us the Torah, and we're the recipients of the Torah, and 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 it's all God, uh, it's all divine speech. Actually, a Rashi like this would say, you know, there's a human component, and the human component it is 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 it may be not quite as important as the divine communication, but the human reception, with its own intentionality and its own mit bonening, its own ref, you know reflection in between each item, and like, okay, what did I just hear? How do I apply this? That's like of awesome importance as well. You know, so I'm listening to you and I'm thinking about, about oratory. I'm thinking about the art of public speaking. And of course, you know, it, there is a, a, a similarity to music. It, it's the same world of discourse, public speaking. If you listen to Martin Luther King, I Have a Dream, it's it's pure music. That the way he delivers the speech is music. And of course, the pauses. The pauses are where the people can catch up. I, I always have, you know, when, when I'm, you know, preparing a bar mitzvah or a bat mitzvah, I say, "Welcome to the Elliot Malamit School of Oratory." You know, <laughs> kids. No, because kids get up there and they go. Blah, 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 they're so fast. So I said, "Slow it down, slow it down," because you know, in your head, it's like all the sound. It's like a big. I have a visualization of like a whole train wreck, you know, derailment, because all the words are kind of colliding with each other. I want to, I want to savor, I want to listen, I want to, I want the space to react to the words, you know what I so, mean? 
what I would add to what you said, Jeremy, is that I, I think properly understood, at least how I understand it, um, is that revelation is a dialogue, not a monologue. Yeah. And what gives revelation meaning is the human understanding, because without it, it's gibberish. Yeah. Yeah, that's this is very, very true. Uh, and we act this out in Judaism. Uh, you know, again, here you've got you've got certain kinds of like you know, very expansive midrashim say, oh, no, 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 the whole oral Torah was also given at Sinai. That, that of course, does not make any sense um, because the Talmud says that, you know, Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Meir discussed this, and we don't mean, and they, and they disagreed, and they had to argue with each other, and we don't mean that, well, Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Meir didn't actually say it. People have been saying it for thousands and thousands of years before them. No, that, that means you actually mean it. Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Meir and Abayi and Rabbi, they're having these conversations, and they're making their own points, and they're, they're having a conversation. And so I, I just think it's beautiful in Judaism that we think that there is a Torah Shabbat, like a, a written communication, and at whatever level of metaphor or, 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 or uh, you know, mythic story, we, we say that that's a divine communication. Uh, it's, it's also Torah Shabbat, the human, the oral Torah that the human beings bring to this conversation. And it's not Judaism without both of those. All right, so let's let's take a baby step into the next verse, which is Daberal Bene Israel, Vamarta Alayam, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, Adam Kiakriv Mikem Korban Ladonai, uh, a human, a person, a man, Adam. It, Adam can mean man, woman, a person. Kiakriv Mikem Korban Ladonai, who will make a korban, a sacrifice to God, Mina Bema, Mina Bakar, Minatson, from the herd, from from large animals, from small animals, from sheep, he will bring this offering. So I, I want to, um, I want to tell the story of this this person. I, I, I you know, w- we have a tendency, we readers, or maybe me personally, we we want to we want to see ourselves in the text. So I, I, I remember, you know, we, we talked about this. One one strategy of reading the text is. Put your name in there, you know, between every phrase. So it's Vamartaleam Adam Elliot Kia Ladunai, right? And so all of a sudden I'm gonna say I'm gonna say my name in there in the pause between the the the, the phrases and go like, okay, so you're you're in you're in that place. You're you're here, okay, and you're coming to this altar and What's your story? So can you can you get into that person's head? Can you can you give me his story? What does he want to do? What what's why is this expression so important and why does it take up so much of the Torah? I think the baseline is he wants to thank or show appreciation for God. He has felt blessed and now he wants to approach God in humility. And he brings a gift. Because when you want to show someone appreciation, you give them something. So I want to just add real quick on that. Um, uh, with which I agree with everything you said. That verse 4, and this is, The person offering puts the hand on, to, on the top of the animal to be burned up. The and it'll be acceptable for him uh, to make expiation. So, you know, we've, we've joked about the fact, not joke, but re- reference the fact that 
the you know the spiritual writer and Lamont says you know there's thanks pray wow but there's like three th thanks uh, thanks help wow there's like three she says there's three basic kinds of prayers there's you know gratitude thanks panic help and just you know awestruck wonder you say wow but there's also sorry there's like also you know a prayer that is made in the spirit of contrition and wants some forgiveness for you know the, the the sense of alienation or gap or whatever and so sacrifices are also seen to be like to, to use the uh like the very narrow technical sense of the term communion you have this meal perhaps it can thought of as feeding god at some at some ancient level or the parts that you eat yourself but there's like communion the human divine meeting and you kind of reconcile for all the ways in which you spend lots of times in your life out of sorts, you know, not right with God. You got to get right with God. You know, I, I, I've had the experience of being, you know, both in the in the zone of urgency where, where life and death were in the balance and, and of course, being on the other side, you know, with people as they experience that. And there's, they have a real terror and they want to know what they can do. They want to know what they can do. And often a person will feel like, there's there, there's my it's my responsibility i have to do something to help this person to save this person to you know you know and and often they'll say i want to do something is there a prayer i can say because i want to be able to kind of reconfigure the celestial forces so that my loved one will be saved and on and on and i'm saying that that there, there may be all sorts of different motivations for this person to come, but the person feels that he's got to, uh, and, you know, he, she, he's, that person has to kind of level the, the, the open, well, he has to communicate, he has to be, be received. He wants to be, he wants to be accepted and has to, has to go through a, an experience that includes, Violence it includes blood, it includes, you know, fire, smoke, it includes lots of terrifying things. I mean, the, the, the truth is that it is very difficult, I, you know, because the three of us and, and our colleagues and other people who have studied the Torah with some intensity and, and like to read, as three of us do like to read about, you know, like scholarly examinations of ancient religion and what did this mean and and the you know the, the writings of like uh, philosophers such as uh, uh, such as uh, Rene Girard who talks about this or or the fabulously named Marcel Mauss, Mouse he's Mickey, right. Mickey's cousin the um, <laughs> <laughs> they write about what it is to give a violent gift and to be brought into a sacred space um, and it's very powerful stuff it's hard for us whose whose worship is like you know, poems and words and songs and there's no hard, violence. There's no hard violence to, to be able to understand. And, and we we before we started recording, we talked about the fact. Just I'll continue on that verse. I read verse four and now verse five. After after the person puts their hands on the on the animal in hopes that it will be accepted, such that he could that they can be forgiven. And I'm reading the translation of the JPS, and it says the bull shall be slaughtered before the Lord. But I don't think that's quite correct. I mean, the simple meaning is v'shachatet ben habakar means that he then slaughters the animal. And I, I think that, you know, for us, being an animal uh, slaughterer, butcher, whatever you'd say, not butcher, but 
the one who, the one who actually does the, the cut across the neck of the animal, is a technical skill that most of us don't have and couldn't have any knowledge of how to do it. Uh, but I think that ancient people knew how to do that. And and it was not just that the person came to the temple and said, Kohanim, priests, please take care of this for me. I think that 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 up until the time that the that the at a, at a certain point, I mean, it is in this very verse, verse five, and the person offering the animal slaughters it before the Lord. And then the, the priests handle the blood. So there's a technical part that priests do, but then everybody who was worshiping in these moments of, you know, guilt or terror or wonder or thanksgiving or whatever it is, they actually, I think, slaughter the animal themselves. I think that they have to slaughter the animal because that's what gives meaning to Lechapera love. Because why is why do we kill the animal? Because God should take us. And we're hoping that by giving the animal, God will spare us. So it would make no sense for the priest to slaughter the animal because the priest doesn't have a stake in it yet. So he's only got the stake afterwards. He gets uh, it afterwards, right. You know, I, there's a, um, a remarkable uh, anthropologist named Margaret Visser. She has a book called uh, The Rights of Dinner or something, and she says something like, uh, um, you, here, I have the quote here, somewhere at the back of our minds, carefully walled off from ordinary consideration and discourse lies the idea of cannibalism, that human beings might become food and eaters of each other. Violence, after all, is necessary if any organism is to ingest each other. I'm, I'm saying that because of, of of food, but but here the idea that that when violence is used, you know, you think she writes about how how the act of you know slicing and preparing food, there's violence there. There's violence here in in uh, preparing a sacrifice. Um, and at the back of our minds is the the possibility that we may have been called on to be the sacrifice, and 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 that's why I think sacrifice is not as remote as um, as it as we think it is. You know, I don't want to be too too. Uh, cont- you know, the moment the moment of that we're in. We talked a little bit about last week. Is is you know the, the, where there's collision of forces, but in Israel, the political forces and and. And the eruption in small acts of violence that will only generate into a larger act of violence. And that's, of course, the fear. And, and that this is the work of René Girard. René Girard is talking about how the sacrifice was a mechanism to channel the violent impulses in a society, especially when people want, you know, had mimetic desire. They wanted to imitate the other person and attain the other person's you know, desire, the the sacrifice was a way of of channeling that violence out and making so, peace. Basically, it's important to remember here, Elliot, that in the ancient times, medieval times, life was a lot more violent than it is Absolutely. for us today. We most of our violence we get vicariously on TV through movies, but daily life had a okay. violent tenor to it. There's your music reference, by the way. The violent violent tenor to life in the ancient world. Yes, the music reference, okay. Well, I missed the music reference, what was it? Tenor, violent tenor. Oh, the tenor. Oh, again, it was a violent tenor. He was was so so difficult to work with. Not not Placidos Amigas, who would be misnamed if he were. (laughs) Well, (laughs) I want to also just add one more thing about 
you know, it, it is because of this material from ancient Israel and ancient Judaism that Christianity makes sense. Like speaking initially to an audience that understood that you, um, that, that, that there, there was a way of displacing that you might feel as Barry said, with which I completely agree. And this is, this is out of the Ramban, um, that, that at some level you feel you don't deserve to live and that, that it's your own life that should be offered to God. And in fact, that is the, that's the only true prayer. The only true worship is I offer my life to you. Not that I would die, but I would offer myself to you. But in God's great mercy, God's agreed to take an animal instead. And, and that's how we, you know, that's how we displace our own guilt and perhaps displace our own violence. Oh, and by the way, there was this guy and we call him the lamb of God. We don't call him the lamb of God, but some other people call him the lamb of God. He is Isherach Nichoach. He is the sweet saver. Um, and sweet savior, the sweet savior, savior, and the savior, and that's one of the ways in which Christianity, you know, or ancient Christianity, must have made awful good sense to a group it, of Jews but, who understood. And it makes know. sense to like over a billion people today who who you know have devotion in that way. You have to understand, you know, that that they wouldn't just be be believing. If it didn't touch a a, a a deep part of the human soul, a human narrative, that's Christianity does. You know, we obviously have a different narrative and have a different, you know, way of 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 re responding to these very very deep human impulses. You know, I love the way that we that we we get this. All of our readers and listeners should should appreciate this. That you know, we come to the Torah and we look at a couple of verses. We got a lot to say. It was like one verse, or like maybe two verses, <laughs> three verses. The Parsha's got lots of verses. The Parsha has so much to say, but it's it's like you can't get past the first couple because they're so rich. They're rich. So they're my rich. wife, when I had a congregation, I would often speak on the first verse or two because I'd find something interesting, and she would tell the congregants, because that's as far as he got to read that week. Well, you know, <laughs> there's something to be said for that as well. No, you know, I I, I spent some time teaching the, the first uh, verse this week uh, to my class, and, and you know, I was, uh, it's not amazing, it's it's so overwhelming, the the um the the number the 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 richness of midrashim on on um you know God speaking to Moses and and Moses and his humility and Moses as Moses as the beloved partner to God and Mo Moses as the exceptional and what how we imagine this moment and what what it's trying to tell about the relationship the divine relationship here so these you know, are I, I have just a, just a couple of things I want to say about some more stuff in the parts maybe maybe we'll reach the I don't know. I don't know how much time we have left. Maybe it's the, the very last bit in, in Leviticus 5, which I think is really interesting. But um, in this parasha, in the sacrifices that are described, we start off with the with the Ola and the the uh the full animal, and then you know, then we're talking about different kinds of um uh different kinds of of, of other sacrifices that comes could come from the, the, the cow or the small animal or the birds. Um, and then, you know, we get on to, well, what about if you offer a grain offering and different kinds of cake styles, you know, fried or, or you know, meal or whatever. And uh, these are all, first of all, these are all discretionary. In, in, in later chapters, we're talking about the obligatory things that have to happen every day or the things that happen if you have a chatat for a sin, uh, a purification offering for a sin. But these are the, these are the uh, discretionary ones. And I think it's pretty interesting that in a religion that really does privilege 
the have tos and says about the you know choose tos. Oh, okay, you know it's good too. I think it's interesting that Viper starts with the choose tos. You know, you feel it, you desire, you you have this free will offering. I think that that's pretty great. And also, I, I think it's pretty great that the the Torah goes. Let's see, you, you might give an you might give an animal. Um, but maybe you can't afford an animal. There's still there are other vehicles by which you can express your devotion that are much less expensive. That are there's there's worship for every budget, and then there's you know the things that are totally burned to God, the things that are shared in human in human feasting, human partly to God but partly in, in human feasting. And I think that's pretty amazing. The system of worship is is not you know entirely taken over by the divine. It's like how do we invite different people? in different idiosyncratic spots in their lives into some sort of worship experience. And that's, it, it sounds very modern, but it's actually what happens in the first chapters of Leviticus. So it's part of, I think, what one could say is a subtle reshaping of the meaning of sacrifice. By emphasizing the discretionary or the voluntary nature, we get away from the idea that the sacrifice, these sacrifices are expiation for us. Rather that it's because we want to do this not because we're fearful of losing our life, but rather out of a sense of blessing and gratitude that we're going to approach God. Remember when he says sacrifice in English, you immediately go to the think of the thing that is lost. You sacrificed X or Y or Z. But both in English and in Hebrew, it's not quite right because sacrifice really means to make sacred. You sanctify, sacrifice, and and korban means you draw close, you karob, and I think those are really. I think that's. I think that's like religiously rich. These are methods by which you can bring sacredness and nearness between the human and God. Well, there, there's one more layer of this that I want to kind of put out there for you, which is that there's also an element of order and chaos here, and that and thinking about the Adam, okay, Elliot going in there, the sacrifice, right? So, so I'm coming from a world that is that may be presently in a state of chaos, right? Outside the sanctuary, things are beyond control, um, and we certainly see that. We certainly see that in in our world. We see see it in the political world. We see that in the natural world. There are lots and lots of things that are on, that are out of control. And yet, when I come in, I want to at least reach for some kind of ordering act so the the slaughter actually and you know which is the 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 moment of life and death the procedures with the blood and also the layering of the animal in its various pieces in a highly ordered structure is a way of of creating or recreating a new sense of order out of the chaos which is which is our lives and and that's one of the central dramas going on in the in the sanctuary so that was beautifully said, Elliot. And it reminds us that sacred space is ordered space. Ordered space. It is a defiance of chaos, and it's a way to bring order, which we associate with God, you know, from the creation story, into the world, because so much of it, as you said, is without it. It's amazing. Well, you know, we, we have an ordered ordering principle here, which is time. The time is the ordering principle. We, we reach the end of our time together. Before we, before we conclude, first, 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 we totally, I didn't say this at the beginning, we honor our people, the, our audience who are watching and listening. We can't tell you how thankful we are that you spent this time with us. We're so, so grateful to you. And I get nachas when people tell us, tell me, and tell all of us, you know, 
I used what you said in a Dvar Torah, or it made it made me think about this. This is this is the best nachas uh, ever, and special Yashikoch shout out. Rabbi Eitan Cantor is the new director of Camp Ramah in the Berkshires. We want to wish him well as he starts off the a new post. He was uh, in Ottawa, my hometown. Rabbi Cantor, we want to wish you well and hope that you enjoy and keep us around for Parsha Talk. We're going to come visit. We're coming to visit. Definitely. Come around the, the original room. studio. Okay. Yeah, that'll be great. It's that'll Rosh Chodesh. So Chodesh Tov. And see you all next week on the next edition of Parsha Talk. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom.